listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Scripture reading now is from, first of all, Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 and then uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 20. Let's hear God's word. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 20, the ninth commandment. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. Amen. This is God's word. Well here at Trinity, we are almost at the end of a sermon series looking at each of the ten commandments. At the law that God famously gave us human beings to live by. And today we're focusing on the ninth commandment, which we just read from Deuteronomy 5, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. The ninth commandment is all about words. It's all about our words. It's all about what we say, about whom we say it, and to whom we say it. It's all about our words. Words are in no short supply today. In our country, over the last decade, we've witnessed the rapid development and rise of online social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, instant messaging sites and apps like WhatsApp. And it's a development that has made it easier than ever to say a lot of words about a lot of things to a lot of people. And that's exactly what social media businesses, incidentally, want to encourage Uh, It is in their best interest for their users to speak online as much as possible because the more people engage, uh, the more money there is to be made. Um, That is not to say, though, that that social media is um, of itself a bad thing. Of course, there's uh, many positive aspects to social media, can have many positive uses. Uh, But the fact that it has so quickly become part of the furniture, as it were, in our society and in our daily lives, ought to cause us to reflect on the significance of what social media is ultimately dealing in, which is words. And more personally, it should cause us to reflect on the significance of our words. Uh, there's been some discussion and, uh, and things have been published recently questioning whether social media is in fact in decline and on its way out. Uh, on Twitter, you may have seen tweets trending recently that began, if Twitter dies, dot, 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 uh, and then people finish the sentence with what they want their followers to know and remember if all of the Twitter accounts were simply to disappear under Elon Musk's management. Uh, there's an American author and professor named Ian Bogos who wrote an article for The Atlantic recently And he was analysing the decline of social media. In the article, he suggests that it's a decline which is ultimately inevitable because, he writes, people just aren't meant to talk to one another this much. They shouldn't have that much to say. 
They shouldn't expect to receive such a large, large audience for that expression. And they shouldn't suppose a right of comment on every thought or notion either. From being asked to review every product you buy to believing that every tweet or Instagram image warrants likes or comments or follows, social media produced a positively unhinged sociopathic rendition of human socialities. Uh, In another article, the same author wrote, breaking up social media companies is one way to fix them. Shutting their users up is a better one. A lot is wrong with the internet, but much of it boils down to this one problem. We are all constantly talking to one another. It's long past time to question a fundamental premise of online life. What if people shouldn't be able to say so much and to so many so often? Perhaps you hear that take from Ian Bogost and you can sense the objections coming, the keyboards pounding and the thumbs tapping. What about free speech? Uh, Here's this author telling me that people aren't meant to speak this much. He needs to stop trying to restrict our freedom of speech. But it is true, isn't it, that we all believe our speech should be restricted to some degree, one way or another. Uh, None of us believes that we should have the right to say whatever we want, whenever we want, to or about whomever we want. Just last week, uh, Elon Musk, the man who is supposedly leading the charge against those who oppose free speech, the man who some hope is going to rescue Twitter and online discussion, well, he suspended Kanye West's Twitter accounts again um, because he argued that he posted content that violated our rule against incitement to violence. You might well think that he was right. But we all believe that our words should be regulated in some way. The question is how? How should our words be regulated? What should we say and not say? One Christian writer once wrote that God, in the ninth commandment, regulates our verbal interaction with our neighbour. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, reveals to us how we are to use our speech. It regulates what we are to say and not say. It tells us where the boundary lies for our words. So I want us to see three things this afternoon. The boundary God has set for our words, the reason for the boundary, and the hope for those who stray beyond it. First of all, the boundary God has set for our words When we read God's command to us, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, there are a few things that we need to understand. Firstly, when God refers to your neighbour, he is not referring only to the person in the house next door or the apartment down the hall. He is simply referring to your fellow human being. A person is your neighbour, in the biblical sense of the term, by virtue of them being human. Uh, and it's as simple as that. So when we read, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, we have to understand that we are being instructed to not bear false witness against anybody, any fellow human being. Which does then beg the question, what does it mean to bear false witness against someone? And this is where we need to understand something else about this command. And that is that this term, bear false witness is a term that is associated with the courtroom. 
Uh, you might have picked that up already because we're used to associating the word witness uh, with the person who is called up to give testimony in a court case. And in a court case in our, con- in our country, a person bears false witness. Well, in any court case, a person bears false witness when that person makes a statement that is contrary to the truth. In our context, a person takes an oath when they are about to give testimony in a court case that they will present to the court the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is to say, the person is vowing not only to refrain from lying blatantly, from presenting something that is false, but they are also vowing to uphold the absolute truth about something. The person is promising that what they present and what they say will be the truth in its purity. Uh, To tell the court something that is true but is not the whole truth is not the truth in its purity. Neither is declaring something that is true but presenting it in such a way that it misleads. Neither is recalling a true event, but recalling it in an exaggerated fashion. And so when God commands us against bearing false witness, he is commanding us not only to refrain from lying, but also to seek the truth and to speak only the truth. This is a boundary that God has set for our words It is something that should regulate what we say and how we say it. And it should regulate what we say and how we say it, not only in formal legal settings, in court hearings of various kinds, but it should regulate what we say and how we say it in every setting. Whenever we open our mouths, whenever we post something. The legal term, bear false witness, it helps us understand that God is referring to upholding the truth but there's nothing in the command that restricts it only to when we're in court the ninth commandment instructs us to uphold the truth in informal settings as well as in formal settings in our conversations in our online posts and our instant messages as well as in anything that we might publish more formally in what we say before our family and our friends and our co-workers, as well as in what we might say before a judge, and so on and so on. All of which is to say that the truthfulness of our words, the accuracy of what leaves our mouths and our devices, matters immensely to God. If you've ever had to give testimony in a, in a formal court case, you'll no doubt remember that sense of responsibility that you experienced as you did that, as you took the oath, as you heard the questions, as you carefully thought about the words you used in answer to those questions and whether or not they were presenting the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You remember that sense of responsibility and significance. And yet the ninth commandment extends to our day-to-day conversations and exchanges. So much so that 
we ought to feel that same sense of significance and responsibility when it comes to what we say in every setting. Not only in settings that have legal ramifications. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour is the command that ought to regulate everything we say. It draws the boundary for our speech around the perimeter of the truth. And it reveals to us that to propagate anything but the pure truth is to stray beyond that boundary and break the ninth commandment. To tell a blatant lie is to break the ninth commandment because it contradicts what is true. Yet to subtly lie is also to break the ninth commandment because it also contradicts what is true. We break the ninth commandment when we manipulate the truth, when we exaggerate the truth, when we sow seeds of doubt about the truth. Because in each instance, we stray beyond the boundary that God has set for our words. Break the ninth commandment when we twist someone's words when we recount what somebody has said or written, but we do so in such a way that we change the original meaning of their words, which interestingly is something that we find the devil doing in Scripture. He tempts Jesus in Matthew 4. We break the ninth commandment when we say things that are false or even things that are not certain to be true about others. Again, we can do this by telling blatant lies about other people, but we can do it by circulating rumors about someone, even expressing our suspicions of, of somebody to others, because our suspicions could turn out to be mistaken. Gossip, sharing information that is unproven or unnecessary to share, Telling of others' faults in the wrong contexts. Saying something that just raises the question in somebody's mind about the character of someone else. Have you heard about so-and-so? How much do you know about that? Slandering other people. Mocking them. Making sarcastic remarks about them. Subtly suggesting that the person in question ought to be thought of less highly than you might think of them. In all those ways, we bear false witness against our neighbour. None of which is to say that we should not form judgments about people, nor that sometimes our suspicions of others might be accurate. But it is to say that we should not form judgments without sufficient evidence. And we should not express whatever judgments we might reach or whatever suspicions we might have wrongly. A good place to start in considering whether something you might say might be straying beyond the boundary set for us in the ninth commandment is to reflect on what Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Well, this is the law and the prophets. It's what's often is referred to as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Uh, that comment, that comment that you're about to make about so-and-so, how would you feel if they made the same comment about you? The information you're considering sharing about another person, how would you feel if a similar piece of information was shared about you? That assessment you've made in your mind of another person, how would you feel if a similar assessment was expressed about you? And would you express that in the presence of that person? If we're to take the Ninth Commandment seriously, we need to treat our words with that kind of seriousness. Because the Ninth Commandment regulates our speech by permitting us only to speak what is true about our neighbour. It's the boundary that God has set for our words. But why? Why does God care so much about the truthfulness of our speech? Well, secondly, then, I want us to see the reason for the boundary. What we see in the ninth commandment is that God cares about your reputation. And he cares about the reputation of those around you. He has commanded us to treat our fellow human beings' reputation with the same level of care that he treats it. To bear false witness against somebody is to damage their reputation. To spread rumours about somebody, to slander them, to speak disparagingly about them to others, it's to harm their reputation. We know this to be true, don't we, when it comes to our own reputation? Think about how much it hurts to find out that someone else has been spreading false or unnecessary information about you. Information that causes others' opinion to be uh, opinion of you to be lowered. In those scenarios, we're hurt because our reputation has been hurt. We treat our own reputation really seriously. And the Ninth Commandment instructs us to treat our fellow human beings' reputation really seriously too. Because their reputation has been given to them by God, and God is concerned that it be preserved and not damaged by untruths being spoken about them. John Calvin writes, It ought to be a sufficient inducement to us to guard our neighbour's good name that God takes an interest in it. How much do you care about your neighbour's reputation, your neighbour's good name? Are you concerned, as God is, to uphold and defend it? Or do your words, even those subtle words, betray the fact that you are quite happy to allow your neighbour's good name to be dragged through the mud? Or think about it more positively. We often hear a lot about what the vision is. For a particular church. And to some extent, we, we all do have a vision in our minds of what we would like our church to be, what we would want the worship services to be like, what kinds of activities we want to be doing in the week, what sort of outreach we'd like to be doing. But you know, the Ninth Commandment presents us with a much grander vision for our churches. Imagine a church in which the ninth commandment was truly upheld, in which we each took great care of one another's reputations. Imagine a church in which everyone spoke well of one another, 
Imagine a church in which you never felt concerned about what others were saying about you behind your back. You ever felt, you ever felt concerned about that? Sometimes with good reason, wondering what comments people were making about you when you're not around. Imagine a church community where that simply was not something to worry about. Imagine a church in which every single person was committed to guarding and enhancing the reputation and the name of every other person in the church. What a church that would be. What a vision that is. How do we get there? How do we realise that vision? Leo Tolstoy famously once wrote, Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Everyone thinks of changing the church, but no one thinks of changing himself or herself. Realising the vision of a community that takes seriously the ninth commandment begins with you and it begins with me. It starts with you resolving not to speak ill of anybody else. It starts with you resolving not to gossip, not to insinuate things about others, and not to indulge it either. Imagine a church in which gossip was just given no air to breathe. In which any time somebody tries to spread an untruth, it is simply snuffed out because nobody else will entertain it. Everybody in the community knows it is unwelcome. And we are each prepared to guard the good name of our brothers and sisters from unwelcome visitors. No, that is not to say that, that sins in the community aren't dealt with. But it is to say that they're dealt with properly. Not through self-appointed judges condemning others by their speech, but through the proper courts of the church that are clearly outlined for us. Jesus outlined in Matthew 18. And the first step of that is, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault privately. Privately. Only if the issue is not addressed privately should we then seek to deal with it together with others, fellow Christian or with the elders of the church. One Christian minister and author, Philip Ryken, writes, If only everyone would follow the simple guidelines of Matthew 18, there would be no one left for gossips to talk to. Martin Luther referred to the process that Jesus outlined in Matthew 18 as a precious and excellent teaching for governing well the tongue. We recognise what he's talking about when we rightly view ourselves as the guardians of our neighbour's reputation. Luther writes elsewhere on the ninth commandment, It is especially an excellent and noble virtue for one always to explain advantageously and put the best construction upon all he may hear of his neighbour as long as it is not notoriously evil. Uh, <clears throat> what he's saying there is similar to what I heard um, a friend say recently. Recently I was in the US and visiting one of our partner churches, Surfside Presbyterian Church in South Carolina, and I was 
spending time with the senior minister there, Brian Peterson, who incidentally is coming and planning on coming and visiting us again in the spring with his family. And he shared with me one thing that's really important to him when it comes to how he relates to his fellow staff members and his elders in the church. He said that it's really important to him to try and elevate his fellow staff members and elders in the eyes of the congregation. Now just think about that. Here is someone who, rather than seeking to bring others down a peg or two in the estimation of others, he's seeking to elevate them. He wants to enhance their reputation. It sounds a lot like a life lived in accordance with the ninth commandment to me. Guarding, preserving, enhancing where possible his neighbour's reputation. Imagine that kind of attitude permeating the very fabric of our church community for years to come. That begins with us as individuals taking seriously our responsibility to one another, determining not to bear false witness about one another and instead to defend one another's good name. And yet, as we reflect on that aspiration, there is no doubt a sense of sadness as we realize that we have not lived like this. Even in the last week, how many times have we spoken out of turn about our neighbor and in one way or another caused real harm to their reputation? The family member we complained about, the co-worker we moaned about, the friend we put down in conversation with another friend. If the boundary for our words runs around the perimeter of the truth, and if the reason for the boundary is that God cares about our neighbor's reputation, then thirdly and finally, what hope is there when we stray beyond the boundary? It's interesting that there are several places in the New Testament where what is emphasized about the Lord Jesus is his truthfulness. Truthfulness. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is introduced as the one who is holy and true. In verse 7. In verse 14, he's introduced as the one who is the faithful and true witness. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, tells us that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. One Christian minister named John Fesco writes, Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. He is trustworthy and never uttered a lie. He never twisted the truth to try and serve his own agenda. He never manipulated facts to make something seem more impressive. Not once did he harm another person's reputation by straying beyond the boundary God has set for our words in the ninth commandment. He was the perfect keeper of his neighbor's good name. He ensured that his words only communicated what is true. He remained within the boundary of the ninth commandment all the days of his life. And having perfectly remained there, he then went to his death, allowing his own good name to be slandered. 
false allegations were made against him. At his trial, false witnesses gave testimony. His name was mocked when a crown of thorns was placed on his head and the sign the king of the Jews placed at the scene of his crucifixion. The most truthful man to have ever lived was treated as a liar and a fraud. And his name, the purest of names ever to have been, was dragged through the mud when he was put to death in the most humiliating of ways. Why did he allow that to happen? Why did he allow his reputation to be so unjustly damaged? Because in his death, he wasn't only bearing his own name and his own reputation, but he was also bearing ours. His death was the just punishment that you deserve and that I deserve for all the ways we have assassinated our neighbour's character. He was treated as we deserve to be treated, as people whose reputation is fully known to God, who sees everything. And all who trust in him are given by God a new name. It's a good name. It's a name full of honour and righteousness, a name full of holiness and truthfulness. It's the name that belongs to Jesus himself. And in his death, he buried our names with all the sin and the shame that is associated with them. And he grants to all who trust in him the rights and privileges that belong to his name. One of which is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given generously to all who trust in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus refers to in John 14, as the Spirit of truth. All who are given the Spirit of truth begin to resemble Christ. Instead of gossip, slander, and malicious talk, our words become more and more words of truth, guarding and enhancing the reputation of our neighbour, which God himself cares a great deal about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do recognise our, once again, our our many shortcomings as we reflect on this commandment. Lord, it is true that your law uh, searches us and exposes our sin, and yet we praise you that at the same time it reveals to us our Saviour, the one who embodied this law and the one who redeems his people. And so our prayer, Lord, as we close this afternoon in the words of Psalm 19 is that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith, 
what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.